Hey, Bridgeway. Today ends our three-week series called Follow Me. We started with the shaping of people who are following us. Then last week, we talked about the sharpening of people who are walking with us. Today, I want to talk about something that is a bit different, and you may think that this is not a message for you. You may remember in the first message, we said the kind of leaders that you follow should be safe. Safe stood for sincere, anointed, fundamental in their beliefs, and eager, eager to point people toward Christ. Last week may have been the sweetest message I've ever preached because we talked about pie. And pie stood for peace, integrity, and esteem. And we said we're not going to let anyone steal our pie. In fact, we want to spend people out of our orbit if they're taking away our peace, our integrity, or our esteem. And we talked about what it meant to walk with other people, shaping and sharpening, and as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So now we've talked about those behind us, those alongside of us. Today, though, I want to talk to you about a subject that may have you changing the channel, and that is the subject of submission. My subject today is that dirty word that some of you cannot stand, and that is the word submission. We're going to talk about the art of submitting to others. So is it time for you to change the channel? Is it time for you to get up and get something to eat or drink and maybe just like come back later? Well, friends, since this is not a subject that a lot of people like to learn about, how about for those of you that really want to learn, you lean in a little bit and we can talk about it. And the rest of you who find that word objectionable, Come back next week. We're starting a brand new series with some of our clergy. We'll do another clergy team uh, teaching where together we're going to learn about sharing and caring and daring. And by the way, can I just thank you for those who came out to the prayer vigil gathering last week? It was amazing. Several hundred of you came out. Several thousands of you walked, uh, watched online. And we're going to do it again, okay? Give us a couple of weeks. We'll have a good fall opportunity to be outside again. We'll tell you to bring your chairs and, and your blankets, and we'll have a time of worship. So that's coming. Don't worry about that. But now, let's talk about the art of submitting to others. Lord, as we submit to you, would you teach us how to submit to others? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is the secret to submission? I'll tell you this. The secret to and of submission, believe it or not, is security and joy. Security and joy. In fact, if you ever want to tell someone a secret to why you feel so secure and why you feel so much joy, my guess is you could put it this way. Ever since I submitted my life to Christ, I've experienced security. Ever since I've submitted my life to Christ, I have experienced joy. Now, in order to understand this, I need to take you to a couple of scriptures. So I'm going to take you to two passages today, one that will help you understand the security of submission, the other one that will help you understand more of the joy of submission. But as a child of God, we're seldomly taught, how do you submit to people who are above you? How do you submit to people who are uh, in authority over you? 
And what does that look like, especially in Christianity and when you're dealing with all kinds of chauvinism, racism, and the different ways that leaders can abuse their followers? So I want to talk to you about feeling secure as a follower and feeling the joy of the Lord as a follower. And the two passages I'm going to take you to is Colossians chapter 3, and then I'm going to take you to the book of Hebrews. But let's start in Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to start from verse 18. I'm going to take it through chapter 4, verse 1. It starts off with this verse that maybe a lot of wives aren't excited about. I'm going to say it anyway. I already warned (laughs) y'all. Here it is. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Doesn't stop there. It moves to the next verse, thankfully, but maybe I'll just pause there and let it settle for a while. Amber, can you hear me? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. My wife is a wonderfully uh, supportive and, and submissive woman to God first. But here's the next verse that she's got to count on in order for her submission to have a sense of security. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. In chapter four, verse one, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, when I read that passage, how does it hit you? How does it feel? Does it feel oppressive? Does it feel like you are being suppressed? Does it feel like you are being sat down? Well, let me break down the passage for you a little bit uh, to try to help you understand that good submission can bring good security. Uh, I want you to just to notice a couple things from the passage. Can we do a little observation? Here's the first thing I want you to note. Note who is missing from these groups. Watch it. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, provide for your slaves. Did you see all the groups there? No, let me ask you, what group is missing? You got Wives and husbands, this is a family unit. Then you got children, makes total sense, right? Husbands, wives, children. Then it goes into slaves and masters or employment, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Who's missing? When I read this, I I thought, my goodness. If you're talking about the family unit, and then you're talking about the workspace, somebody's not here. Guess who it is? You got it. Mothers. What? 
You're giving all these rules for the household. You're giving all these rules for how we're supposed to connect with authority. And the one group that the writer never talks about are moms. So everybody else needs rules but moms. (laughs) Why is that? How to be a good wife. How to be a good husband. How to be a good child. How to be a good dad. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. And then it goes right to work. Now, how to be a good employer. Where did mom go? Isn't that interesting to you? Why is she missing? Is it because that mothers know how to instinctively serve their families and submit to whatever task is necessary to get done what needs to be done? Is it because moms maybe are pleasantly and oddly missing because they don't need admonitions on how to be a mom? They know that whatever it takes, they're going to care for their children and the children feel secure when you have a mom. Mothers instinctively, I'm not talking about those that are whacked out and those that are messed up, but by and large, in one whole, moms take care of their children right from the breast. And that's where the security begins. And security with a mother's care just seems to be instinctive and natural, while other relationships almost need rules to get to that same level of security. When we're making these observations, I wanted you to note who was missing, and of course who's missing are moms, but then who is very present outside the house? Masters. That's another observation that it's not just mothers, but it's masters. Now, of course, as an African-American male reading these kinds of verses uh, in America can really jack you up when you're trying to uh, interpret the scriptures. Uh, Just recently, I was at the Museum of the Bible and we got to see all these different Bibles and what the chronology of the Bible was up until the present day and the impact it's had on the world. And the curator was also talking to us about the slave Bible. And I mentioned that in my message when I was given the vision kickoff that there really was a slave Bible. And they took out the Exodus and so many other uh, parts of the scriptures. But this is one they left in. Masters obey, uh, slaves obey your masters. They left that in. But you see, you've got to understand when you're reading the scriptures that the slavery that is talked about in the Bible is not the same slavery that is talked about in the history of America. The European and Portuguese and Spanish uh, slavery of black Africans was the kind of a slavery where people were kidnapped and forced into the dehumanization of not even being uh, humans. This is important to understand because when the slave masters used this verse, they wanted black people to think that God wants you to just be obedient to the ones who are persecuting you. But remember, God is always about liberating, not persecuting. So he liberated the Israelites from Egypt and he brought liberty to those who were oppressed and poor. Jesus says, I was even anointed to do so. So don't understand this passage with these words, master and slavery. It would be a better way to translate it as employer and employee. 
And so it would be better to think about when he says, employees, obey your employer. And then it goes on to say a verse that's seldomly quoted. Have you ever heard this quoted in uh, this verse, Colossians 4.1, where it says, masters uh, are supposed to provide what is right and what is fair for the slaves. Or in this case, employers are supposed to provide what is right and what is fair to their employees. The kind of slavery or employee relationship we're talking about biblically is the indentured servitude or the labor force of someone like the biblical story of Jacob. Remember Jacob? Jacob wanted this girl named Rachel. Oh, he was fascinated by this good-looking young lady. And he was willing to work seven years for her father Laban in order to marry his daughter Rachel. After seven years, through some shenanigans, if you will, uh, he ends up marrying the older daughter, Leah, thinking it was Rachel. When he found out that the woman that he was with was not the Rachel he worked for, He loved Rachel and wanted her so much that he was willing to work another seven years to get Rachel. And so he worked in totality 14 years to get the woman that he really wanted. This was a chosen indentured servitude. He wasn't kidnapped from his family and made to be a slave. He chose to work for this woman. And so when we talk about the labor force, you get to choose what job you want to go to, what boss you want to work for, and what reward is worth it for you to make a volitional decision to come into the servitude of others. And so what we see noted in the passage is that mothers and masters can make people feel a sense of security. Mothers instinctively make us feel secure emotionally. Masters or employers make us feel secure economically and financially. That's why when you're working and you have a job, when you like your job and you receive a paycheck for it, or you like your service so much that you don't even need the paycheck, whatever it may be, when you are working and you've chosen to do the work, you've made a decision to do the work, you voluntarily said, no, I want to do that. I want to work for that church. I want to work for that company. I want to work uh, for that organization. You are motivated, but let me tell you what it does for you. It provides a sense of security, economically, financially, sometimes even spiritually, because you feel like you're using your gifts and your skills in order to live out the purpose for which God has created you. So I think it's interesting as we look at this idea of submission, submission can bring a sense of security when you have uh, good work, and good family relationships. And when it gives you the rules of submission, the one that's left out is moms. Well, do we need the rules for the other relationships? Well, clearly we do, or the writer Paul wouldn't have written it. And so he writes it, but I want you to understand, even when he talks to the employees and the way they're supposed to serve, notice verse 23, because I think the heart of verse 23 is something that we can extrapolate and use in our lives personally. This is what it says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Did you see those four phrases? Whatever you do, 
work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. This gives us the what, the how, the who, and the who not. The what, the how, the who, and the who not. What's the what? Whatever you do, whether you're serving in the church, whether you're serving at home, whether you're serving in your community, whether you're serving on your job, whether you're serving your parents, whether you're serving your children, whether you're serving your boss, or whether you're serving your employees, whatever you do, that's the what. Work at it with all your heart. That's the how. You see, it's not only what I do, it's how I do what I do. And so when you work for the Lord and when you work for other people, you want to do it not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly. You want to give everything you have, your skills, your energy, you want to give that in such a way that God would be honored. What? How? Who? It says, as working for the Lord. That means that when I submit to my husband, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. When I love my wife, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. When I work on my job, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. Even if the work that I'm doing with all of my heart is not the favorite thing for me to do, expense reports or commuting or traveling, whatever it is that you do, maybe it's selling, uh, maybe it's a business administration, but whatever it is that you do, you do it with all of your heart, but you're doing it for God. This is why in the mornings you got to remind yourself, and maybe at night, that what I'm about to do, I'm doing for the Lord. And then at night when you go to bed, what I did today, I did for the Lord, especially when it's hard. When you're married to a man that you don't want to submit to, you do it as unto the Lord. When you have a woman that's hard to love, you do it as unto the Lord. When you have a father that exasperates you and embitters you, it's discouraging, but you still, as unto the Lord, you want to be the kind of son and daughter that one day will be able to look back and say, I did all I could to honor my father and mother. When you work for that company, may they never say that you were lazy, that you were asleep on the job, that you weren't giving your best, because see, you're not doing it for them. It's as unto the Lord. The what, the how, the who, and the who not. Not for men. It says it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Now, of course, we do things for people all the time and we, we want their affirmation, but there's a difference between affirmation and approval. And yes, we like the affirmation of people and it's okay to get it, but what we want is approval from the Lord. And so when you work, remember, when you serve, remember, you're doing it as unto the Lord. One more Zoom call after you've had four, guess what, as unto the Lord. One more meeting as unto the Lord. One more commute as unto the Lord. One more meal that you're cooking as unto the Lord. This, my friends, is the submission that brings a sense of security, emotional security, economic security, and when you're doing it for the Lord, a sense of spiritual security, and that you're doing what God has called you to do. God has wrapped you 
up in a certain way. He created you in your mother's womb. I'm here to tell somebody today that God created you just the way you are. Your gifts, your skills, your emotions, your intellect, God put that in you. And so when you submit to him, you then take those gifts and you surrender them to others in the building up of God's kingdom and you will be fulfilled and you will feel a sense of security. People are not doing work as unto the Lord. They don't feel secure. They may have a lot of money, but they don't feel secure. They always feel like they're going to lose their job. They always feel like they're going to lose their money. They always feel like they're going to lose whatever it is that they've gained because, see, they weren't doing it for the Lord. They were doing it for men. And when you're doing it for men, it makes you feel like you, you can never really count on them. You don't know when the other shoe's going to drop. But when you're doing it for the Lord, you can feel secure in that. Well, that's the first passage to talk about how submission leads to security. Now I want to talk about submission leading to joy, and then I'll give you a couple practical applications and we'll be done. Here's the passage. It comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 21. This is what it says. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy. There's the word joy and not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. The writer goes on to say, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Long passage, but a really good one that talks about the joy of leadership when other people are submitting to you. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Some texts say, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Let's give you some practical applications that rise up out of this passage that will bring you not only security, but joy. How are you supposed to handle those who watch over your souls as shepherds? Number one, obey. If you don't like that word, then use the word confidence. It says have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Obey your leaders. Now, obedience means to yield. All right. So to obey means to yield. Yield the right away and give your confidence over to those who are shepherding your souls and trust their guidance. Because if they're hearing from the Lord, they may be telling you to do something that they themselves don't have a full understanding on why they are guiding you in this way. So when you have confidence in your leaders by giving giving trust over to them for your guidance, you're actually demonstrating confidence in the Lord and your obedience to them is your obedience to him. Now, I know that's hard for a lot of people to hear because no one's taught you that there's a great way to be a spiritual child. And a lot of people who are spiritual children are under legalistic Christian parenting. And so it's dysfunctional in the way churches work. 
We're not talking about heavy-handed leadership. We're talking about shepherds who know how to guide people based on what they hear from the Lord. And what I'm saying to you is if you want your leaders to be people of joy and not have the burden of leadership, then one of the things that you can do to help as a practical application is to obey or give them your confidence, trusting that God is speaking to them. It says in verse 17 that they will be held to account. It also says in verse 17 that their spirit of joy will be a benefit to you and not a burden. So there's a benefit uh, that you get when your leaders are full of God's joy. Well, I said there's a few things that you can do as a practical application. The first one is obey. The second one is pray. Obey and pray. You want to know how to handle the leaders that are shepherding your soul? Obey and pray, Hebrews 13. And he uses the word prayer or pray two or three times in verses 18 and 19. So give them your confidence, but give them your prayers. So what do you pray for? Well, for your spiritual leaders, pray for the purity of their lives. Notice that the writer says that he has a clear conscience and desires to live honorably. He actually says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. He asks for prayer. So one of the things that you can do for your spiritual leaders is to pray for them. Pray for the purity in their lives. Secondly, pray for the path of their lives. It says in this same uh, uh, chapter, it says, not only do I urge you to pray, but pray that they might give you uh, the, sort of the right direction. And so pray for the purity in their lives. Pray for the, the path in their lives, that God would lead them in the way that they should go. And later they actually say, you know, pray for us that we might be able to get to you soon. They have to determine, you know, when do I make this journey? When do I make this move? When do I go on that missionary trip? When do I uh, get on a plane? When do I uh, get in a car? You know, they, they need to hear God on what they are supposed to do. So when you pray for them, pray for the purity of their lives, pray for the path of their lives. And lastly, pray that their lives would be pleasing to God for you and your leaders. I want you to notice verse 21. As we come to a close, it says that, you know, they're praying that God would equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us. Listen, what is pleasing through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. He says, if we pray for us, we want to do what is pleasing to him. And so when you're praying for your spiritual leaders, you not only pray for their purity and the path of their lives, that they make the right decisions, but you pray that they're pleasing to God. And let me just say to you as a spiritual leader, and I know you have many of them, I'm not just talking about myself. You have clergy here, you have life group leaders, you have ministry leaders, you have people that God has placed in your life. And let me just say, as one of those people, your prayers mean the world to me. I think sometimes people think that purity, easy for you. Uh, the path that you're on, you know, you got gifts and skills and you got vision, easy for you. Pleasing to God, of course, every minute of the day you're doing that. Well, first of all, y'all know me, so you know that none of that is true. Uh, purity is hard. Being on the right path is difficult. Pleasing God is something I always want in my heart, but I don't always do. And so it takes the prayers of my brothers and sisters for me to do what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it. And I fall short a lot. I bet you do as well. So how about 
as I pray for you, you pray for me. Obey, pray. Here's the last one. Say. Say. Not only give them your confidence or your obedience, not only give them your prayers, give them your words of support. You know, this writer, if you continue to read through the end of the chapter, and I won't go to it now, but he, he gives words of exhortation and, and affirmation. He's greeting people. He's using his words in order to bless people. Let me say to you, if you want to be a blessing to your leaders, then use your words to support them. Not just obey, not just pray, but say. You know, a note or a text goes a long way. A gift goes a long way. Encouragement goes a long way. We all need encouragement. You know, October is, uh, I think, Pastor Appreciation Month. We never really celebrate it here, and, and I, this is not about me. But you know what? Uh, if I'm going to teach you how to be better spiritual children, think about your clergy. Again, not me. I've got a whole team of leaders. You've got life group leaders. You've got Bible study teachers. You've got Anthony teaching and, 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 and leverage. You know, if he's teaching you God's word, bless him. You've got people who are speaking into your life. You've got Pastor Sandy and you've got Pastor David Heiliger. You've got so many great opportunities to bless those who bless you. And what am I saying? A note or a text to say thank you for spending all that time uh, teaching us, caring for us, praying for us. It goes a long, long way. I'm just so thankful. You know, Grace Stark, she calls the radio show and she thanks me for what I do with radio. You know, you've got Susan and, and Stephen Lafty. They write me a little note and give me a, a blessing every now uh, and again. It just blesses my soul. I could go down the list. D. Bird uh, is often shooting me a word of encouragement. The Elders Council of Women and the Elders are shooting me encouragement. Do you know that is gas? That is fuel. And we do that for one another in order to keep going. What am I saying? Submission is not a bad word. It's actually a word of security and a word of joy. And it's a secret that you may not want to tell a lot of people or else, well, or else maybe they'll discover that God's word is actually everything he wanted it to be for their lives. And sometimes when people realize that my life is all messed up and you tell them, well, let me tell you how to get it together. Submit to Christ and submit to others in the name of Christ. And God who works through order and works through anointing will bless you from the top of the head, down the, the beard, to the collars, down to the robe. And God always blesses order. Satan always creates disorder. And so get yourself in order. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you.